0: attention attention please the camp ojibla history podcast is on the air Welcome to the Camp O'Jibbler History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Campo O'Jibbler History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Campo O'Jibbler for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Joe Bine. Joe Bine. Maybe you haven't heard that name. Joe Bine was an original camper, 1928. Joe Bynes' father was one of the two architects who helped Al Schwartz lay out the original plans for Camp Ojibwa and the cabins. Joe was awesome. Lives in L.A., is 93 years old. He sent me a email about a year ago. Saw the project had started. Loved it, wanted to just uh, send a little love my way. And I said, Joe... I tell you what, I'm going to be coming out to California in March. Can I come and sit down with you and interview you? He said, Chris, I'm 93 years old. I don't know if I'll exist in March. (laughs) But if I do, please stop by. So we had a great time. He gave me some awesome pictures. You're going to see a couple of them up on the site here. And then I'll be posting a whole batch. He had an original set of the first postcards Camp ever did. He had photos from the first year. He had his letters that he wrote. And uh, some of the stationery was very interesting because it had Camp Ojibwa on Big St. Germain Lake in Woodruff, Wisconsin, which, as my devoted listeners might know, is not the current home of Camp Ojibwa for boys. Speaking of which, just a little heads up, we talk a lot about the beginning of camp, and we talk in the podcast about 1928 camp being at Woodruff at uh, Big St. Germain Lake. That's not entirely accurate. Um, that's the year he has stationery from. And I think that we were just kind of conflating a couple of memories there, but in 1928, of course, camp was at three lakes at a small resort and then moved to St. Germain the next year before 1930 camp finding its real true home right here on the shores of catfish Lake. But you're going to hear some really interesting stories. Definitely a perspective you have not heard before. He's a great guy. And, uh, his pictures were fantastic. Before we get to that, quick shout-out. Visiting weekend just passed. You guys are awesome. A whole bunch of you guys came up here, visited camp. You saw the Jubilee. It was fantastic. You saw a lot of great stuff going on, including the Camp Ojibwa History Project Museum set up with a lot of new stuff, rotated a lot of cool stuff in since last year. And also, we did a special discount sale on the bricks for anyone who came here and was here that week last weekend. And boy, did it go over great. So a big thank you to everyone who took part. If you didn't get your brick, don't worry. You still have time. Just head over to the CampoGibbleHistory.org. Click on Walk of Fame, and we can get you set up with a brick right there. So big shout-out for all the parents. It was great to see you. Glad you've headed back home, though. Campers are all ours again. We're back at it. Second session has begun, and it's going to be a great one. Okay, enough of that nonsense. Let's get to why we're here. Joe Bine on the Campo Jibwa History Podcast. Words are
1: flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither while they pass. They slip away across the universe. Who the sound waves of joy are drifting through my open mind, possessing and coaching. First and foremost,
0: for the record, please say your name and your years at camp.
2: Um, my name is Joe Bine and uh, my years at camp I went from nineteen twenty-eight to nineteen thirty-five.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. So how do you first get connected with Camp Ojibwa?
2: Well, my father uh, met Al Schwartz in about 1916 at the YMCA, and they became very good friends. And when uh, Al found some property for a camp or to lease it or whatever, he consulted with my father about whether it was appropriate or not. And then, uh, when they opened the camp uh, in Saint. Germain in Lake Saint Germain, uh, I was uh, five years old, but my mother thought that I was getting too spoiled at home and <laughs> thought that if she sent me to camp, that I'd be one of a bunch of boys, and no one would pay any attention to me. <laughs> it turned out that she was wrong because when she came they, when my parents came up uh, after all this is my first time away they came up in mid-session uh, to see how I was doing and they discovered I was doing fine because I, since I was by at least two years younger than anyone else I was everybody's mascot and they took very good care of me hmm. so that was that <laughs>
0: That's wonderful. Now, for those who are listening who may not know, in 1928, camp was not at the campgrounds that we know today. Camp was, as you mentioned, on St. Germain Lake near Woodruff. Mm-hmm. So if you're up there now, it would be sort of on the way driving to St. Germain up to your right, going that way. As a young man, you come in, you're five years old yep. at camp. Um, do you have a sense of, of what it was like to travel there for the first time? How did you get up there?
2: Uh, we took the train, mm-hmm. and uh, I have no memories of any problems at all. Yeah. No, it was fine. It was a new adventure for me. Sure. Away from home, and since everyone took good care of me, I wasn't bullied by anyone. And since they treated me very well, uh, I had no cause for concern mm-hmm. about anything.
0: Yeah. Did you have any friends that were also going to camp? Or were you, no, I mean, you would have not knowing anyone? I
2: made friends there. Mm-hmm. I'm inclined to say uh, Jay Pritzker, but I don't think, uh, Jay and I lived in the same building at that time. It was 431 Roscoe Street. And I don't think he came up the first year because he is, uh, he, is he was, he's born two, uh, two weeks before I was, And if I have claims to being the youngest in camp, by something, uh, (laughs) he uh, must have not been up there the first year or so.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So
0: you mentioned that um, your father was friendly with Al, so you are you had sort of a relationship with Al and eventually Pearl outside of camp as well before that got started. Yes,
2: absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Um. How did that translate, um, sort of when you got to camp? I mean, I don't know how it worked. I mean, as far as like, were you sort of a favorite of Al's as well, or?
2: I didn't, uh, no. no. I didn't have any, I didn't have any extraordinary contact with him. Gotcha. At all. And I probably didn't meet Al until I was in camp.
0: Oh, I see. see? I see. Mm-hmm. So you go to camp and in the, uh, I guess the question I'm most curious about is when it was not when it was in in Saint, Lake Saint Germain. Um, I have no idea what it looked like. Any concept of how it was set up, um, cabin wise? Do you have an idea of like how many kids?
2: No, but I understand that there were seventeen. I believe there were seventeen. Seventeen kids that first these year. Mm-hmm. If, but you know I'm 93 years old, so. Uh, <laughs> I have a good excuse for not remembering.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, do, now, as a young man, and then growing up through camp, did you learn to like sports? Were you a big? Did you I enjoy was a the sports? Big
2: sports uh, enthusiast from the start. I see. And uh, I learned tennis there. I learned baseball and tennis there, and I did well. That's a sports with the timing and coordination yeah. and so forth. And I did well. It stood me in good stead uh, through the rest of my life.
0: Mm. Yeah. When you were playing sports at camp, um, obviously you also got introduced to new sports that you hadn't done before, like boxing, for example. Yeah, As- boxing and <laughs>
2: volleyball. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. All yeah. of that was part of the, the yeah, and, curriculum, I suppose.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I don't know whether I knew how to swim or whether I didn't, but... Uh, Every day we lined up and did exercise, and then went into it—you know, Catfish Lake. You went in for a dip.
0: Excellent. <laughs> so in the later years, they have dip or showers. So the kids do their exercises, then they have the option of either going to the lake or going for a shower.
2: We had no option.
0: You guys just had dip. No, and
2: there was a fellow named Flash <laughs> Friedman who didn't like to go in for a dip, and they used to have to coerce him <laughs> practically every day. Uh, I remember
0: that very well. I can understand that. Going in for a dip at at 7 in the morning, a little chilly. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. With the the sports, did you – were the games – I guess the question is, were they sort of organized in leagues where you played on the same team over and over again, or were they more just games that got put together each day?
2: As I recall – The we pay, we played games against various camps. Mm. There was no there weren't enough people for mural. Oh, of course, or, right. See, because as I think my documents here say, there were seventeen people in, in Lake St. germain seventeen campers, and twenty seven the second time. So yeah. you know, in, in Eagle River.
0: So you could maybe practice a little bit with yeah, each other, right. but you couldn't yeah. play a full game. Yeah. Of course, um, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you uh, so? As you recall, uh, what's the day like? Sort of, what's a camp, a typical camp day like in your time? Um,
2: We went in for, you know, we did the exercise, then we went in for a dip, Mm -hmm. and then we had breakfast, and then we played sports. Okay. And then we had lunch, and after lunch, we had an I think an hour to write letters and just relax and so forth. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> played more sports until dinner time. Yes. And then after dinner, we'd go into the uh, lodge and uh, they would uh, tell us stories. And sometimes there were ghost stories and we'd be scared to death. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Being impressionable little (laughs) kids. Sure. (laughs) And uh, that was that. There was one day every year, which was backwards day. Mm. And you uh, woke up and you're supposed to put on your clothes backwards. You couldn't put on (laughs) your shoes backwards. (laughs) But they had the schedule reversed. You had dinner, then you uh, uh, played sports, then you uh, rested, and then you ate lunch and so forth. And, so. <laughs> and then they played Reveille for taps.
0: <laughs> That's very clever. That's very clever. Were there other days like that that were sort of um, unusual days where you would do different events or things no, like that? I can't, I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that sort of over the years of camp, that became a thing that there would be different types of days introduced to sort of break the monotony, so no, these days we do like a circus day and things like that uh, but
2: I don't remember oh, every Saturday we had an inspection we had to clean out our foot lockers ah. and uh, make our beds this very special and uh, we had an inspection I think it was every Saturday
0: mm. now was that a competition or anything where no. the you know no. camp is known for its competitive nature, yeah, so. Right. That was just, yeah. it's the right time. It's time to do it. Let's yeah. get it done.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent. What about the food? How was the
2: food? We were little kids and we were hungry. <laughs> food was great. <laughs> never had a complaint. Of, I never had a complaint at all about
0: the mm. food. Yeah, especially with only 17 or 27 guys. That's, yeah. you know, not yeah. tough, to, not too tough to cook for that crowd. No, it shouldn't be. Yeah, and you oh. had Katie Evans, I think, was
2: she? Katie, oh, absolutely. Boy, that's, that's really a long time ago. <laughs> she had a husband, didn't she?
0: She did. Uh, Henry, is it, wait, it's Katie yes. and...
2: And they were, they were both there. Martin,
0: Katie and Martin. They yeah. They were both there, yeah. Excellent.
2: Yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> so from a, do you have a sense of, you had a, you lived in a cabin.
2: Yeah.
0: And you had a few boys in there with you. Yeah. And you had a counselor or two. Yeah, counselor. Um, sure. Uh,
2: First one was Art Bernstein. I
0: was gonna say, do you remember any of those guys?
2: Art Bernstein, because I have a letter in here someplace from Art. I, I had uh, my birthday's in September, hmm. and for some reason we invited him over. My folks invited him over, and he wrote me a thank you letter and so forth. And oh, so
0: that's very which nice. Is very nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we we became very much attached to our counselors, Mm -hmm. yeah, and as far as the guys were concerned, uh, there was a lot of harmony, there was no, there was no bullying, and uh, no, there was no, uh, I was in, in with people I liked, some a little less than others, but I didn't dislike anybody.
0: Right. Nice. And, I mean, it, it's easy to imagine that at that time period you could have had just the opposite experience, of course. You, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's, it's, that's a really special part of what Camp, uh, camp Ojibwe specifically is, yes. being yes. able to create right. that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think Al Schwartz is probably a big part of that, sort of his absolutely. philosophy is his g- philosophy, guiding the way.
2: Yes, absolutely. It made me, uh, being at, a camp, that, at a camp that many years, uh, shaped my character a great deal especially since I was five years old right and uh, people comment over my lifespan they everyone says I'm very different that I'm very honest mm. they can count on me for anything that I don't uh, use bad language mm. and uh, it all comes from... Al Schwartz that's Hmm. in the
0: camp. Yeah, absolutely. Were there times when, um, especially with such a small group early on, how did Al uh, interact with you guys? Was it like everybody come sit down and I'll talk to you all at once? Or was he more sort of active, like cabin by cabin? Or was he more, I guess, administratively? I I don't know how to say it. but
2: Yeah, I know what you're getting at. And I'm not too... Certain. His presence was felt, was known, but we had uh, <clears throat> a lot of guidance from the counselors. Mm. Yeah. But we always knew that he was in the background. And, and uh, yeah. He and I don't know if it was his brother or not. I think this is the guy. I don't know. Sort of his number a, two guy? I think he was. But there was another fellow there, Al Schwartz Jr., the Olympic swimmer. Huh. Yeah, he was there. Wow. Yeah.
0: He was there as a camper or as a staff man?
2: He was there as a staff man, and he was, he was swimming in Catfish Lake all the time because he was going for a long-distance um, swim in the Olympics. Wow. And now whether he went or not, I don't know, but he would... He was supposed to do 17 miles every day or something. Uh, some some real uh, <laughs> but and one of these pictures, he's on the pier, uh, here. If I could point him out to you. Yeah, he's on top, right? He's right there. Oh. We call him Al Schwartz Jr. He uh, in later in life I met him socially hmm. and uh, remained friends with him. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> that's from and in these days now you may I, I don't know if you're old enough to at the time to know it but you'd have to put the peers in every year they weren't permanent peers oh. so the staff would come in ahead of time oh, and put the peers yeah, in that. yeah <clears throat> um, I've, that's one of the things I've had the joy to yeah. learn from this yeah
2: but um, the uh, counselors were outstanding some of them there's one Len Pivovitz and he changed his name to Len Pierce. Hmm. He was one of my favorites. Yeah, I can point him out in there. But I remember at the uh, at the fiftieth reunion it was I think. Um, I saw him and I said, "You're Len Pippen. and I said, "What are you doing with that nameplate?" He <laughs> said, "I changed my name." Huh. <laughs> There's a guy named Harold who was one of our uh, uh, counselors. Yeah, a lot of nice people. Mm. Yeah,
0: I saw that there are some rowboats in here. Did you guys do any boating, like canoes or rowboats or anything like that? Yeah. That wasn't really part of the. Maybe the older
2: kids did, but yeah. I never did. Mm. No.
0: So you go to your bar mitzvah, and then that's that's it. But yeah. at that point, you've already got what, eight years in. <laughs> that's right. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then sort of after going forward from that, are there guys that you kept in touch with over the years? And
2: oh, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, Ernie Jameson, who is uh, a couple years older than me, uh, we moved to uh, Los Angeles in
1: 1940.
2: Mm. And he belonged to Hillcrest Country Club, and we belonged to Hillcrest Country Club. We joined... My father was a great golfer, and he wanted to be able to play every day, so he decided mm. he's going to move to Los Angeles. And the day his um, uh, application was accepted, we moved to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, so I met er- er- Ernie Jameson there again, mm. and Ernie and I became inseparable, mm. inseparable friends. He's, he's the closest... Long term, Jay Pritzker was also a very close friend, but I didn't see it. Ernie Jameson I saw every day practically. Right. But Jay Pritzker's base was in Chicago, and so I saw him when I went into Chicago. Yeah. But Ernie, I saw all the time. Hmm. And he was a wonderful guy. John Pennish moved out here, and I was friendly with him, um, but not as friendly as Ernie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about the like your counselors or your staff any of those guys that no, you stayed I didn't stay. Yeah. Uh
2: Dick Hoffman I was friendly with but when I moved out here then I lost track of him.
0: Yeah. Of course. Yeah. As a as a young man, do you recall what are the things that you really enjoyed that made you want to keep going back to camp?
2: The, the counselors and the kids.
0: Mm. Just getting to hang out with each other. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean that's what everyone says, like it really comes down to those those relationships are what make camp what it is yeah. the yeah. sports that's and everything true. else are secondary,
1: yeah
0: it's about that sort of one on one and we even kids today, even the campers today and the counselors they'll describe it in different words, you know mm-hmm. they call it the hang or the yeah. hangout or whatever yeah. it is, but it's all the same, the
2: same thing. yeah,
0: it's about yeah. that that camaraderie and relationship yeah and yeah, it's really wonderful
2: yeah um, <clears throat> One thing I remember that is there's a fellow named Stan Oppner, O P T N E R, mm-hmm. who was at camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the ex brothers, uh, Larry and uh, Morty, were cut ups and they were, they were always in trouble. <laughs> so one day we're in uh, our rest period and we hear some, something going on outside, and we can't figure what it is. We, take, we run to the window and look, and there's Stan Oppner and Morty, Morty X with boxing gloves on. Boxing. <laughs> and Stan Oppner whipped Morty pretty good. Mm. And he rested for a few minutes, and then out came Larry. And he fought with Larry. And what had happened was that the the ex uh, brothers, as I said, were evidently acting up, and Al wanted to show them that they weren't such hot stuff. Mm. And so he had Stan Oppner beat up on both of them. <laughs> and I remember that after the, both things were through, that Stan Upner vomited from the exhaustion. <laughs> or
0: the, yeah, I was supposed so. Wow.
2: Yeah, Stan Arthur's still alive and he's he lives out here mm. and I saw him about a month ago and he lost his wife and he doesn't want to live anymore. So oh. he's,
0: That's unfortunate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I connected with him about 10, 10 15 years ago. We discovered, you know, that we lived near each other and yeah. we built up a relationship.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing how you can pick it right up uh, yes. if you yes. don't see each other for however yes. many years, yeah. and it just the camp and you know connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: um,
0: there are several guys in. I'm actually going to see a handful of guys in Palm Desert tomorrow. Oh. And um, Bob Hollib, does he the get Holub. back to you? I know a Mort Hollib. Okay, I'm maybe I don't know. Maybe they're brothers, or because yeah. I think Bob would have. Bob's got a picture of pretty early on when the cabins are still this color. So he had to have been there in the 30s. I just don't know when for Mm -hmm. sure yet.
2: There's a Mort Holub that I know very well, and there's some other Holub. My father was very friendly with one of the Holubs. They were in the, I don't know, canning business or food business of some Mm -hmm. sort. You might ask them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, that's how I've been able – that's how I learned more, is just getting a little bit from everyone and um, – like you mentioned oh i i think we skipped it a little bit but we mentioned that your dad was one of the two architects who well he, al yeah, yeah. Yes. but he
2: didn't design the cabins or anything he just helped lay them out mm. i think george dubin probably designed the
0: uh, yeah yeah it's a really fascinating story with the way al sort of just went about went about it and had the right people to help him and yeah. you know it all kind of came together and yeah. and that again speaks to his love and his sort of big heartedness and yeah. likability and all that sort of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> what are your other good camp memories?
2: Well, I remember, I don't know how good or bad. Mm-hmm. I remember one time we went out for an overnight hike. Oh, we hiked up someplace. I don't know where. And we we're in tents and it started raining and it rained. Pitchforks. <laughs> it rained really hard mm-hmm. and they decided they better evacuate us and they did. Oh, So that was a memorable oh, certainly. experience. Another memorable experience was uh, after lights were out you're supposed to be quiet mm. and as you can tell I talk a lot and I remember one night that uh, they told me to be quiet or us and we weren't And they took us out and they put us on. They were then making the athletic field. And they were cutting down the trees. Now, I read someplace where they used dynamite or something. I don't know, they may have. But I know there were a lot of trees cut. And we had to stand out there with the mosquitoes eating us alive. (laughs) So that was our punishment. Mm. One, uh, only one time. Yeah,
0: only <laughs> one time. It was <laughs> only one time. a little tougher back then.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I remember that. and <clears throat> This is not relative to camp, but uh, I remember that a few times during e- each summer that the Pritzkers had a um, summer place up there. Mm. And on a Sunday where there were no activities, I guess, they would invite me over to there, and Jay and I would play together.
1: Oh,
0: excellent.
2: So I made it nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Did they have, um, in later years, they have a building they would call the Dad's Lodge. So they would let fathers of the campers come and stay. And that was from the 40s through oh. really into the 90s. Oh. Um, is that something that happened where parents would work their way up to camp at any time? Maybe dads and be around at all? No. No.
2: <clears throat> That's before my time.
0: Yeah. Have you been to camp? When was the last time you went to camp? Till you could see it? 35. Oh, wow. That was the last time I
2: was there.
0: Well, le- please let me extend a welcome invitation anytime you want to come.
2: <laughs> well, at my, at my age, thank you, but, yeah, you know, it's unlikely. You know, I wouldn't know when you went there. Right. That's the
0: thing. It's not terribly <laughs> convenient either. <laughs> no. That's... There's a couple things I want to ask you that um, right. they may mean nothing. Right. But um, we don't have very good records from the beginning until about 38. Um, in 1938, I know for sure then, they did a, a yearbook at the end of the year. And it, it had like um, kind of a heavier cover. Mm. And and it was just basically mimeographed pages. Mm-hmm. And they would basically talk about everyone at camp, so every person is listed. And they would sort of highlight the things that happened. Yeah. So there are no pictures or anything like that, just a written yeah. review of the summer. And from 38 on, we have them. They mm-hmm. they did them every year. Um, but So because of that, we have some really good history stuff. But before 38, it's very murky. Yeah. So do you remember if they did something called Collegiate Week? No. Does that ring any bells? They did not. Okay, because we believe that 37 is the first year they did it, which that actually brings up another question. So as camp goes on, um, as big as sports was at camp, there was also always an entertainment side. There was a rec hall, which you're definitely there before the rec hall, but they built the rec hall and they would do performances. They would Mm -hmm. do uh, cabin singing competitions. Was there anything like that sort of singing or any kind of artsy stuff, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it? it's clear that those first couple of years with so few kids, it really is just like, we'll just figure it out. Whatever we do today, we do. We swim some days. We practice baseball today. Um, but by the time you leave, have they started to organize the sports a little more? Are there enough kids that you can actually play games within the camp?
2: If you recall, I don't recall that at all. No. Okay. Uh, they may have had a little competition between the uh, cabins one and two against three and fours, You know that general age. They may have had that. There's not no emphasis on that.
0: Do you another thing that is um, now would be considered one of the the trademarks of camp is that the mess hall is full of plaques, and on the plaques are the the league champions or the, the tournament champions for everything for going way back. Any plaques? Does that sound familiar at all? Wonderful. (laughs) This is, that's really incredible because I think those also start 37 or 38. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's, it's leading into those early forties when camp really starts to, to boom Mm -hmm. population wise, Mm -hmm. once the war is going on and the polio fears and things like that, getting kids out of the city and, Mm -hmm. That stuff really kicks in, um, but this is just tremendous. Uh, any other any other great camp stories that you can think of? From your time? You talked about some of the scary stories they told. Do you remember any of the maybe characters involved or anything like that? No, because I think they're in my history of talking to people. It seems like there's a couple of stories that have always. So Zeke is a very popular. What? Zeke. Zeke? Mm-hmm. Zeke is a, well, typically he's a former handyman.
2: There's there's a guy. You brought up a, a thought. We had a guy uh, who was later on, uh, had shows on Broadway. You probably, um, he was a famous guy.
0: Yes. He was he a playwright? Was he? Uh, I
2: think so, or, or
0: became a playwright? I think, maybe a, I think
2: he was a playwright or a musical. Uh, he wrote musicals. I'm not sure. Tichman. Howard Teichman. Okay. Howard
0: Tichman. All right, we'll track. We'll track that down. Yeah. Howard Tichman.
2: Howard Tichman. Yeah, he would entertain once in a while.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Oh, so I guess there must have been a piano somewhere. Yeah. Maybe in the lodge? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Alice Schwartz himself used to do some Yiddish acts. <laughs> or tell Yiddish stories. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, with a lot of... It was a Jewish accent. Sure. Yeah.
0: A little borscht belt sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Get the, yeah. G- gather the kids around and tell some yeah. stories and... Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He must have been quite a man. I've heard so many amazing things about Al Schwartz. He
2: was a ge- very gentle man. Always had a smile on his face and always very gentle.
0: Mm. And quite an athlete from what I've heard. I don't know if he played around you guys. Or... I
2: don't
0: think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would guess not. But you talked about playing some of the other camps. Did you also play, um, do you recall playing like people from town or anything like that? No, Maybe like the locals or anything?
2: No. Yeah, Strongheart was the one I would remember. He mm-hmm. was in the letter. Yeah. But there, and uh, I think Strongheart had uh, Frank Caridio, the Notre Dame great. Oh, uh, okay. Was their coach, and he was a real nice, nice guy. Yeah. We had contact with him. Wow. Yeah.
0: It, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating that it was also a, a pretty small community at the time. I mean, the camps up there, you know, yeah. if, if yeah. every camp had... Yeah. Kawaga had been around for a little while before us. They've got about 10 years lead on us. But everyone else is pretty much coming up at the same time, starting up. Mm -hmm. Um, And for it to be sort of these little pockets, these little Jewish community pockets all over the north woods of Wisconsin. And and they would continue on. And now it's bigger. So going forward, you said you hadn't been – You left camp in 35, you haven't been back to visit or anything, but um, relationships, people you've run into over the years, you've continued that sort of thing?
2: Domash came out and I bumped into him. I guess he knew someone that I knew that had gone to, it it may have been uh, Pennish, Johnny Pennish. But, uh, and at Hillcrest, uh, the guy named Bert Horwich, that uh, went there, and uh, he heard me talking one day about the camp, and he said, I went there too. And so, we became, uh, we would talk to each other about camp days, hmm. you know, uh, when we saw each other. Yeah. But, uh, I went back to the 50th reunion, and I, I'm not sure, I think I went to one other that
0: would be in 98, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. that's right. And like I said, we're we're prepping the 90th. I think we're actually going to do it a year early, but do it for the 90th summer instead of the 90th year, that kind yeah. of... Hmm. Well, if
2: I'm alive, maybe i visit there. Although yeah. none, of my, none of the people I know will be there.
0: That's yeah. true. I mean, I, I, I don't mean this in any sort of terrible way, but I, I think you, you probably are the last remaining original camper. Um, Wouldn't be
2: surprised. Yeah.
0: Um, of these guys, I mean, certainly none of the guys that we've pointed out in the pictures are still around. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And Marshall, Marshall was an original camper as well. He's not with us anymore either, as of last year. So, yeah. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I've it's not confined to camp. with all my friends <laughs> are going. As a matter of fact, later this weekend, going to San Francisco. A girl who sat next to me in fourth grade in Ravinia School. Died and I have to go Ugh. to her memorial service. You know, yeah. and uh, that's the penalty you have for living so long. Your mm. circle constricts. Yeah, but I'm not complaining. Sure, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> it, right? <laughs> no, you live, you live for your grand, for your children, and for your grandchildren. Yeah, absolutely. And. They need you. Mm.
0: That's certainly true.
2: Yeah.
0: So, I, after camp, um, what did you do with life? What
2: did I do with life? Yeah. That was in the 30s. Well, uh, you, uh, you, I, wore, I won uh, World War Two for us.
0: Oh, well, that was very kind of you. <laughs> I know it was touch and go for a while.
2: <laughs> I, was, I was in the Army. Yeah. Mm. Um, I had exemptions, but I was very patriotic, and uh, I didn't like what was going on, so I went in the army, and do you want me to tell you about that? Yeah, that would and, be fantastic. Um, I went to training, and then I went, at the end of the training, they interview you, and they decide where to send you. Mm. So I go for the interview, and the guy says... I see your name is Bynes. He says, you're in relation to Maury Bynes. I said, he's my father. He said, well, my name is Leonard Hummel. I said, I was at your bar mitzvah in Chicago. (laughs) And he says, Joe, you're, you know, you're a uh, college kid, and you're pretty smart, and you make a great, they want you to go to OCS, Officers Kennedy School. Mm. He says, if you do, you'll be dead in six months, Mm. you know. Because those are the guys that lead the charges and right here, so he said, "Let's see if we can send you to some schools." So he sent me to about two years of schools.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, year and a half of schools, and then I was attached to a um, <clears throat> army headquarters, not as any rank because I didn't want that. I wanted to be. Yeah. I didn't need it. My father. Every time my father saw me, he says, "Well, are you?" Are you a captain yet or a lieutenant? <laughs> he said, Dad, they're doing all right by me. I just want to get out. <laughs> I want to survive. So anyhow, I was attached to an Army headquarters, and uh, we were sent over to England, and then from England we went into Belgium. Only thing is, on the way, we got the ship. We got torpedoed. Oh, wow. And sunk. Oh, wow. So I was on that, and we were picked up by a, uh, uh, <clears throat> there were two lifeboats and I was on one of the lifeboats helping tend the wounded and uh, <clears throat> as the ship was sinking we had to get away from it and we were picked up by a, a, uh, a minesweeper mm. and um, we got up and I went the cabin into uh, where the Bunks were for the crew, and I was getting seasick. Uh, I discovered you can't get seasick no matter how, t- when, you, when it's inconvenient, you don't get seasick. <laughs> but as soon as it was not inconvenient, so I got seasick, and the guy says, Let's walk up in the, uh, on top deck. So he took me up there, and he said, We're talking, and he says, You know, you're lucky, he says, you had lifeboats. He says, All of our lifeboats are in England uh, being repaired. We don't have any lifeboats. Oh, wow. So I said, please don't tell my friends <laughs> <laughs> that when we go down, please don't say yeah. anything about it. Yeah. So at about two o'clock in the morning, there was a huge explosion, mm. a huge explosion. And I had an elderly friend with me, a guy 10 years younger, older than I was, and he watched over me. Uh, he said, come on, Joe, let's go up on deck, I mean, you, you're, you have to, the alarm is on. I said, George, twice in one day, I'm not anxious to jump in the water. He says, I happen to know there are no lifeboats.
1: Hmm.
2: He says, come on. I said, no, I'm going to sit here. And I thought, and I thought, I said, well, this is a test. You're not religious. Are you going to start praying? I said, no. <laughs> and then I started thinking about my mother hmm. and thinking about some guy knocking on the door and saying, your son is gone. Hmm. You know, it was pretty tough. Yeah. And as the last people, uh, men went up uh, the ladder, George said to me, come on, Joe, let's go. We can't stay down here. So we get the, on the ladder and start going up. And as we reached the deck, the guy says, hold it, hold it, everything's okay, let's go down. What had happened was they had, on their underwater radar, they had picked up a huge object. And they thought it was a submarine. Hmm. And they threw depth charges overboard. Ah. All that they had, they usually dropped one at a time. They had a six or so on deck, and they threw them all over, and practically lifted the thing. Oh, wow. And there was fish all over the deck. It was a school of <laughs> fish. That some <laughs> That's incredible.
0: Yeah. But that is that was, incredible. Yeah. You know,
2: that was a uh, pretty dicey deal. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, then I got out of, uh, if you really want to know, I got out of the Army. And my father was a general contractor, and he was uh, doing slum clearance housing projects hmm. like they did in, did in New York, there mm-hmm. tons of them. Yeah. So he did two in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, one in Detroit, Michigan, two in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And by 46, he was uh, doing, uh, he did five in New York. Oh wow! Alfred Smith houses. Uh, Gowanus canal.
1: Canal. Mm, sure, yeah. Uh,
2: and so, so it was decided. I didn't want to go to school anymore. I didn't, didn't want to graduate. Pardon me. I had started out in architecture. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Started out in architecture, and uh, then I discovered after the army. I discovered that I really wasn't an artist, and you have to be an artist to be an architect. Yeah. So I changed to um, engineering and business courses. Hmm. I took some law courses and accounting courses and stuff like that. And then I didn't like that, and I just I said to my father, I said, Dad, I think I want to work on your projects. So he sent me to New York at 48, and I worked there until... 52 when I got married Mm. to a New York girl and we moved out here and I started working by that time my father had retired and we started doing some work with my brother-in-law and my brother and myself and it didn't work out too well. (laughs) And my father had lunch with a guy, a friend of his from Chicago, and the guy said, my son is dying and he's in this business, this music type business, Mm. and he said, do you know any young man who'd be interested in putting up $50,000 and coming into the business, working in the business? And so my father said to him, well, I have a son, he might be interested, because he's dissatisfied with what he's doing. So he asked me if I'm interested, and I said, well, why don't I try it out for a couple of months and see if I like it. So I went there and I liked it, and, Uh, The guy was dying, and he started taking out big sums of money from the business, because he was dying. Right. And he quit working. I had never done any sales in my life. I knew nothing about selling. He was a great salesman, Mm. and so I was taking care of the service end of the business and the accounting and stuff. Sure. So, um, he decided to move last months of his life to, to Palm Springs and he did and I, took him, I had to take him off the uh, bank account because he was, we weren't paying our bills. Mm. And the people who knew me, who I'd been dealing with, knew that I would come with me, I would take care of him, so yeah. they kept sending equipment for us, but then he died. Mm. And then his wife came in and worked in the business for a while and she, I went away to a meeting someplace in New York, and she took and put herself on the, check, on the checks. Oh, wow. And so bank <laughs> did that. Wow. So I called a meeting, and uh, we took her off, you know, told her. And he owed the company $45,000. He took his loans. And so I excused her Loans and I said I'll pay you so much a month, and you're out of the business. Mm. And we had a had our lawyer and uh, accountant, and so took over and um, started building it up. And then there was in the in the in this business there was Musac and there were a bunch of independents. oh Okay. You see. Content content providers, yeah. right? I was independent. And what I did was (laughs) I it's a a long story but I knew all the independents uh, because of something. And I wrote them all a letter and said we ought to get organized. Hmm. And we called a meeting for Chicago and we got organized. And I became the president of the whole thing. Hmm. And that's the that's the best thing I've ever done yeah because I made a business out of the thing instead of a bunch of wildcats. yeah and then we had a lot of competition here and I started buying them up because mm. I was doing a good job and one guy wanted to leave and other people were having trouble and they sold out to me all of them hmm Except Musac, Right. And then finally, the guy who owned Muzak died. And Muzak sold out to me. Oh, wow. And then there was a... There was a... <laughs> antitrust <laughs> investigation. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. I said to Jake Christopher... Well, I said uh, one time I was disinterested. I said, you know, I've got an antitrust investment. He said, Joey, I'm impressed. I've never had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> He's got six billion bucks. Right. And his little, <laughs> little friend. His son. Anyhow, but anyhow, mm. uh, the association was extremely successful in helping other companies mm. become viable companies. Mm. And I had person after person after person call me and tell me, Joe, you taught me so much, I don't know what I'd do without you. I mm. would have done. It was very gratifying. Yeah. You know, it's I'm ninety-three, I can talk about it a little you lose some of your modesty. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? But um it's true I did help them because a guy in Denver called me. The guy in Boise, Idaho, one guy here, hmm. all of them said the same thing. And I was the largest. After a while, I was the largest, and and one guy. We had something called open forum, and and uh, uh, which was anyone who had a problem would raise it, and a whole bunch of us would attack the problem and hmm. find out what was wrong and and help them. And one of the guys said Joe you've got a bunch of your competitors in this. What are you doing this for? I said, but this is for the industry. It's not for me. This is for the industry. Yeah. And I want to help the industry. So that's what I did. Thanks. And then I, I became probably the largest in the country. You're the largest in the country. Yeah. You know, except for someone who owned multiple franchises, like Comcast. Right, of course. Owned two or three Comcast. Uh, different uh, cities. But other than that, I was by far the largest. Wow. And I sold out at my price and my terms and stuff a wrap.
0: Very nice. So
2: Very nice. That's it.
0: Well, one yeah. last question then. In yeah. the in the big picture, we just covered that. Yeah. How do you think going to Camp Ojibwa, what do you think that effect had on on that life?
2: It molded my character. Mm. And My character, the strength of my character is what has made me successful, mm-hmm. really. People looked up to me and knew they could depend on me, and I wasn't to screw them, Yeah, and I never negotiated, and one thing pops up when I say I never negotiated with anyone, when I bought them or, or dealt with them. Never negotiated. They always trusted that I was doing the right thing for them. Mm. there's one guy who owned a radio station and I was make, doing some dealings with him because we sent our stuff over FM mm. radio. Right. and I was dealing with him and he said "He said, Joe he said, I know your, your, your character and I know you're not going to like this but I I've been taught always to get an advantage in anything I do so he said, I want $200 more than you're offering me, which is, you know, right. was nothing. He said, just so I get the feeling that I got the advantage. So when I say to you, I never buggered about anything, it immediately popped up. His, his, his father was a rabbi, Ah, you know, and it taught him that.
0: That's fantastic.
2: But really, it... it uh, All the the things that that you're taught. I was taught the right things by the right people and I believed them. Yeah. And I went with it. Yeah. So, that's it.
0: That's perfect. Thank you so much. You're more than Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Joe Bine, what a story. So cool to have an original camper still around. I'll be honest with you. When we lost Marshall last year, we thought that that was the last original camper still with us. So very cool that he actually reached out to us, and I was able to go out and meet him, see some of the stuff he has, and have a great conversation. Uh, Again, I'll be sharing some of those pictures on the website in the upcoming week or so, so keep an eye out for that. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you know how, drop me an email, Christopher at Camp org, or of course just swing by the website and see what's new, org. We're here starting the second session of camp, I'm a little under the weather, maybe you can hear it in my voice, no apologies, just telling you I'm a little sick, but if you're going to be sick, why not be sick at the greatest place in the world, huh, and um... Even though it's not really doctor's orders, I'm pretty sure the best thing for a sore throat is to go out and have a cigar.